Welcome back to the Fresh Expressions podcast. This is episode eight, Dinner Returns. We're thinking about why some churches have thrived because they focused on rich table fellowship. And so at Fresh Expressions, we are helping churches reach those who are not yet part of any church. And we're trying to unravel uh, the complexities of our world today uh, as it relates to uh, the church. And we're looking at um, various situations, scenarios, practitioners, academics to, to help us get there. And this episode introduces you to the rapidly growing dinner church movement, and hopefully will inspire you to encounter Jesus at your table. Yeah. And and you are? Oh, yeah. I'm Gannon Sims. <laughs> and I am Heather Delad. Oh, hi, Heather. And, hi. Dinner Church has been such a big part of my Fresh Expression story uh, and having the opportunity to be a part of uh, planning two and two uh, previous communities that I was a part of. And really the 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 network that kind of formed uh, and the transformation that happened in the larger community as a result of those meal-centered gatherings. Um, we had some great conversations with two people that have been practicing this form of church for a number of years. I, I had the opportunity to talk with um, Isaac Oliveras, who with his wife founded the Urban Outreach, uh, Urban Outreach Denver in 2012. And he, he really believes that God is calling the entire church back to uh, meal-centered, table-centered churches. Uh, one thing that really stuck out to, to me and um, our conversation, well, a number of things, but you know, Isaac really speaks to uh, the the sociological implications of church uh, in, a, in its existing form and in uh, these forms of church that are centered around tables. And um, if I had a quotable quote uh, from my conversation with Isaac, it was that the meal is not a means, but rather foundational mm-hmm. to the church. Um yes. So who who did you talk with? Gannon? Yeah, I, I talked with Verlin Fosner, and and we we met Verlin and Melody back in I want to say 2016, 14 or sixteen. I can't remember. Uh, but but Verlin and Melody sort of um, we're we're leading a a, a well established and heritage church in Seattle. Um, but every time they would grow a little bit, they would just, they would, they would plateau. And, and so Verlin really began getting to know his neighborhood and, and started prayer walking his neighborhood and discovered that, you know, if you went a few blocks behind the church, there was a totally different population with a totally different need and, and, um, basically walked into the YMCA and, Asked them if they wouldn't mind. What if he held a different kind of gathering there? So, so started experimenting with dinner church. Now that church, um, the church that he and Melody lead in Seattle, Seattle is distributed across the city in you know multiple uh, dinner uh, gatherings, and uh, Verlin has been helping our team and the Fresh Expressions movement imagine dinner church uh, nationwide. Uh, He's come up with a a number of resources, books, materials to help us uh, do that. And so uh, it's it's a real privilege to to talk with Verlin, who's just really been living in this kind of what's the agape feast of the first century? How do we reappropriate that for today? And so he's a, he's a dear friend and um, companion in the, in the gospel. Um, so much of what Verlin's done has been so, so significant to my own Fresh Expressions journey too. And um, these dinner churches, his, what he has provided in those resources that we have available through Fresh Expressions and the welcome to dinner church uh, Mm -hmm. books and guides and videos have been instrumental in training the teams um, that I have in um, starting these uh, new forms of church that are are meal centered and just such a gift, I think, to the church as a whole and what the future looks like. So um, I know that folks will get so much from these conversations and these practitioners in meal centered, table centered churches. Hey, everybody. I am here with my friend, 
Isaac, my teammate, my co-mischief maker on the Fresh Expressions US team, and I can't wait for him to get to share with you um, what is near and dear to both of our hearts in so many ways, but what God has led him to in these last number of years in uh, the dinner church movement, table-centered church, and um, and engaging our communities, building relationships, all those uh, beautiful things that God's at work doing. So Isaac, why don't you share... uh, introduce yourself, how you like to be introduced, share a little bit about your context. All right. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Honored to be able to to do this. Um, yeah, my name is Isaac Olivatis um, here in Denver, Colorado. My wife, Jamie, and I, um, this year we'll have 20 years married, and uh, we have been on this ministry journey since 2004. Um, and with the context that we're in right now, we started um, in 2011, um, really, we wanted to plant a church in the inner city for the marginalized. And that's kind of what we held on to dearly. That was kind of what guided us. And um, so we have been um, ministering downtown in a neighborhood called Five Points in Denver since 2011, really just um, uh, trying to meet needs that we were able to identify through doing a series of outreaches. We just wanted to meet people, um, get to know them, get to know their stories, and then, of course, meet some practical needs. And the idea from the beginning was to to bring a church. Um, however, what we had in our minds at that time was was really um, nothing like, like what we're doing today. Um, and so that was an interesting journey for sure. But we have been, you know, doing dinner church since 2013, and um, was something that we kind of fell into uh, with the way that we had started organizing outreaches. And then it was kind of like a funnel, really. We wanted to bring people from doing, you know, from street outreaches into um, a gathering um, centered around food so that we could introduce people to or, or, or invite people to church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, you know, that was the original plan and God had other plans. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I was, I was sharing before we started, we, before I hit record that uh, I think I heard Isaac speak for the first time at one of our national gatherings and kind of sharing um, how God really messed up his plans and <laughs> what he thought yeah. his church was going to yeah. look like and, uh, and, and kind of uh, invited him into something new and, 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 and your obedience and your ability, ability to kind of adapt along the way, whatever that plan was, is something that I think we can all take some, some notes from. So, um, I guess just to give a little bit of context, like you had more or less kind of a traditional church plant situation, and then it, 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 it became something very different. That's right. Yeah, you know, um, and it's interesting now that I look back. I mean, I was really um, weary from the very beginning about mm-hmm. how we are going to do this church, and that's because I had kind of imported all these ideas of what a church was supposed to look like, how it was supposed to be led, and I kind of felt, gosh, I guess I, I can say insecure and in about how in how I was going to lead that way because it just it never came naturally to me and. Um, so I, but I just really, again, we felt so confident in, in knowing that God had called us to do this, that, um, while well, we figured out where well, we figured he would figure it out for us, he would, he would yeah. lead the way he would, he would do what only he can do. Um, and, and yeah, it, it was supposed to be a traditional, you know, way of doing church, but and as, as Verlin Fosner says, often there, we had no idea of, of the sociology um, that goes into doing church, um, this way. And, and that, you know, was a huge piece of it that, uh, fortunately we learned pretty quickly. So, yeah. So say a little bit more about that because you were in a a, a very urban context. And so, you know, you coming in there with more of a, a traditional mindset around what, what church looked like versus the people that you were kind of doing these outreach, uh, things with and how that really, uh, I, I would have to venture to guess that it began to look a little bit more like a kingdom banquet table than maybe it did before. <laughs> right, right. You know, again, going back to that sociology piece, we, 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 um, people responded very well to the outreaches. They were very thankful. Um, you know, we, um, I just, just have always felt so comfortable being in, uh, you know, in the streets, ministering to people and, and doing street ministry. Um, and I tell people from, from the beginning, I mean, I, 
they, I, I don't have that experience growing up. I, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor's kid and, and, um, and yet I felt so comfortable just, just reaching out to folks. And so I think as a consequence, you know, our, our, our volunteers and, and those that would come in and join in, we just made people feel really comfortable. So then they were very, um, you know, excited to come to these meals that we set up, uh, because it was like bringing them one step further in and we had established some rapport and, and some credibility. Um, so that was great. And then we just hit this roadblock when it came to people coming on Sunday morning for church. Um, and, you know, we, we just were wondering, how is this, you know, happening? Because everyone is just responding so wonderfully, um, yet it's not translating. And so um, we figured that, that these people are living in a different rhythm, uh, rhythm mm-hmm. of their week, not, not even just spiritually, again, sociologically, yeah. they're just the rhythms of their week look totally different. Um, and so that's what, what we were up against. <clears throat> and so, um, we found out that, you know, the Thursday, so we set up the meals on Thursday nights and Thursday nights were just taking off and, and conversations were happening. It, we, we, we just would feel fulfilled every week after these, these meals, then Friday morning would hit and we would feel this, this cloud looming over us because we knew like, well, we hope that people come on Sunday now and we've been inviting yeah. and outreaching and it wasn't happening. And I guess we just felt like we were already having church on Thursdays. That's kind of the feeling we started to, to, to get. And, and right around that time is, is when we started looking into and, and discovering we had become a dinner church. So I can't take the credit for saying, hey, we're going to launch the <laughs> dinner church in inner city Denver. It was just, um, we fell into it and the Holy Spirit led us there. And um, uh, that sociological piece, not only did it free us when we acknowledged that we had become a dinner church, I think the people that we were ministering to, it just, there was just like this feeling of just relenting to what the Spirit was doing. And, and, and it wasn't a letdown, but it was just like recognizing what the Spirit had led us to. Um, and so from that point on, we we just stopped we just stopped having sunday gatherings and we just took off with our thursday dinners and that sociological piece became a further point of discovery to then say okay what what's leading into these different rhythms um how how are they um uh-huh. you know how is it a barrier to to the gospel um <clears throat> and then how can we use it then as a launching point to to go deeper in relationship to to um to show how the gospel is still relevant in their lives. And then of course, as we, as we have found out since then, well, it is not an inhibitor in any way. In fact, especially the gospel of Luke is laden with these examples of Jesus, just sharing the good news around tables. And so Mm -hmm. what a, what an amazing discovery that's been. And it's just, um, it's made it's made the last several years fly by. I can tell you that. I bet. I bet the hospitality of God come to life in uh, right. in, in, in this in this time and in, in, in age. I, some of the things that you said I think are really poignant. I want to I want to highlight them. I mean, you 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 talked about the rhythms of the lives of the people that you were seeking to build relationships with, and how um, that became um, really the impetus for this kind of moving into what it is now, and and in that paying attention, right? That attentiveness, that listening that we talk about so much in Fresh Expressions. And it's not just like, let's listen and then go do the thing, but it's like, we listen all along the way and we adapt and adjust accordingly, uh, you know, based on what we're hearing and what we're, uh, you know, we're being attentive to. And then even when you had the uh, revelation. I, I, it was funny I, I, when you were describing how you were you were doing the thing on Thursday, and then Sunday's coming, and you're like, "Oh, well, wait a second. <laughs> it's like, wait, church is already happening, and it's on Thursday. We, we can call that church." Right. Uh, it's really interesting how we get so hung up in our uh, uh, in our mindset about what church is and what church isn't, and that we're so tied to this whole uh, Sunday morning idea of church. Right. But then also the in your process of of listening, once you finally kind of started to let go, to be even more curious, mm-hmm. and um, in that listening and and understanding those rhythms that were really different, right? Uh, and, 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 and trying to understand why they were different and what did that mean and what were the implications of that? And then, wow, I mean, you use the word barriers to the gospel. 
So say a little bit about your, you know, your, your curiosity and kind of where you are with that today. Um, and what, what kind of was uncovered as you became more curious and, and, and saw what, what that was all about? You know, um, I think in, in more than one way, it, it coincided with my personal faith journey. Mm. I, again, being, you know, um, raised in church, I, the, the reason why we wanted to bring a church to the inner city in the first place was because I've always just had this belief that, uh, if, if the gospel is real and not, not coming from a place of doubt, but, right, you know, but saying, okay, if the gospel is real and it's for everyone and it's, it's valid for everyone, then it's got to be relevant for everyone in every circumstance. And if, of course we know that that's true, but then mm-hmm. I had this thought, I'm like, well, why are we not seeing the homeless in our churches? I mean, mm-hmm. why, what, what is keeping them out? You know, um, certainly there are, are some churches, unfortunately, that, that are not welcoming yeah. Um, and, but there are many pastor friends that I'm sure we can all think of that think, man, I, our doors are wide open for, for anyone. Um, but there are things that keep people away and those are sociological reasons. One of the things that I've discovered is that the gospel is very practical. I mean, <laughs> there are some, there's, you know, there are practical reasons for, and, and, and big, but they're, they're, they're very consequential, but they're very practical and those can keep people out of um, our churches. And so for me, it was a personal quest as well um, mm. to, to see like, well, we should not have to augment the gospel to make it relevant <clears throat> for the mm. marginalized. Amen. And when we look at, again, book of Luke, you know, Jesus says in chapter four, like, I have come to bring freedom for the oppressed, to bring sight, recovery of sight for the mm. blind. Like, this mm. is why I came. And so it, again, it's just being convinced. Well, then we see from chapter four on, I mean, he's just eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. And yeah. this is why he came. And so, um, again, it was a personal faith journey because I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking that the, there has to be a way for, for us to be able to reach people with the gospel in, in an effective way. And then me personally, there has to be a way where I can lead confidently within who I am and the way God has gifted me. Um, and it just, again, they just seemed to mesh when we, they, I guess that nexus was dinner church for us. Yeah. And, um, so that's kind of how that came about. And again, I keep referring to the book of Luke because key to that whole journey for me was that, that curiosity of just, wow, like Jesus is at a table again. He was invited to a table again. He invited himself to Zacchaeus's <laughs> table. He, and, and so it's just everywhere. And I guess. I guess for me, the lesson was, you know, to really see the gospel or, or to, to see the Bible, um, to, to read it on its own terms yeah. um, and to let it, you know, um, speak to 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 our to our time, but to, to read it on its own terms so that mm-hmm. we can have that freedom, right, that freedom to to yeah. to be flexible in how we and how we preach the gospel. And yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean the the table the table is such a place of uh, uh, coming together. I think it can be a place where all of those socioeconomic uh, dividing lines, I think that uh, are across our society, are are eliminated to some degree when you're able to sit at a table and and share a meal. And um, you know, we all have to eat, uh, right. and <clears throat> there 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 is some common ground to be found there uh, for sure. But it, it also sounds like. Um, not only uh, did did you go on this this quest, this journey to get to build relationships and understand better who was sitting at the table with you and 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 what maybe some of the barriers in their own um, uh, journeys were, but um, but you were changed as a result. Your there were implications not only for other people that were on the journey with you, but for you as well, which you know, it was a, a humbling, um, statement for a pastor to make really, um, because you're the pro, like you should know this stuff, right? But I know, I know Isaac, I've said it in over the course of my own ministry that I, I feel like I'm the disciple that's made in the going. Um, but you got to actually go. Yeah. You actually have to go. So 
Yes, yes. <laughs> so what, what, have, what have you seen, I guess, in other people's lives as they've kind of been invited into this adventure with you? And, and what are the implications for, um, for the church moving forward, Church of the Capital C, and, um, and for discipleship and what it means to be a follower of Jesus? You know, I guess the one of the first things that jumps into my mind when you ask that question is the word shock. I think a lot of people are shocked <laughs> when they come to our dinner church because they're shocked at what they see. They're shocked at what they hear. Of course, I mean, there's there have been many times in our in our context where there have been, we'll just say, instances of um, potential violence or potential what you know, just just things that happen in the course of of doing inner city ministry. Um, And so I think people might be shocked initially just to be in that type of an environment and then to put air quotes around that, that's a church environment, right? So there's that that level of shock. Our our friend says, uh, our friend Verlin says, you need street fighting Jesus. And I'll just testify that you need street fighting Jesus in the suburban community dinners and dinner churches too, (laughs) because that's so true. That's so true. Yeah. Um, And then, but I think the other side of that is, is, it's a spiritual shock. I think sometimes people are, or, or, or surprised. I think people are, are surprised at how strong and poignant and real the presence of Jesus is mm. in those contexts. And I think that like, again, again, going back to the gospels where, you know, Jesus is among the poor. He's among the hurting. He, he desires to be there. And, and, and when we, when we come together, um, and, and we're sharing meals at the table and not just like, like I tell our folks and I say, it's, it's great that you're here. Welcome. We love you. We're happy to see you. It's great to enjoy a meal among friends, but what really makes it special is that the presence of Jesus is here. And so when, when we invite him in and we're aware that we're doing this, uh, uh, you know, we're having, we're having a big communion meal is what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so Jesus it's like like the early church in Acts. They expected his presence to be there. They yeah. weren't hoping. I mean, they expected <laughs> Jesus to be there because in the Last Supper, Jesus said, "Do this in remembrance of me." He he yeah. desires to be with us. So people that that you know maybe they're volunteering with a church group. We've had all kinds of church uh, uh, different types of groups volunteer, but especially uh, maybe um, some some of our suburban church groups that that will volunteer. This is kind of their first exposure to this kind of an environment. And so they're surprised to feel the presence of Jesus in a very, I guess, at times uncouth place. Um, <laughs> uh, if that's grammatically correct, which it doesn't feel like it is, but, but like unlikely, but, unlikely, <laughs> in a very unlikely place. And mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. But, you know, you again, you'll 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 see some things. You'll hear some language. I mean, in the summertime, there yeah, sometimes people are dressed very scantily clad. I mean, it's like there's there's just things in our in our church that you're just like whoa. Yeah. And, and it's like, wow. And yet the presence of Jesus is mm. so real. And so, again, I guess what I was getting at with that is that I think it helps us maybe redefine or not redefine. Well, maybe in our minds we need to, but properly define mm. what reverence is. I mm, think reverence wow. too many times in churches has become this euphemism for being quiet and even somber or mm. and certainly there are times for that absolutely but i think at times reverence sounds like like a lot of laughter and maybe some disagreements or maybe maybe just just you know again like i said some 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 colorful language as you're bringing people in as mm-hmm. they are uh and but yet you are you're you're seeing you're seeing with your physical eyes and your spiritual eyes darkness and light clashing and the gospel i think of romans 5 where you know where sin abounds grace abounds all the more yes it's just you are just seeing it play out and to me that's reverence because you are taking the gospel at face value you Mm. are trusting in the word of god to do what it promises to do i don't know of any other way we can more revere the gospel than that yeah, so good. And 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 all that said, um what what does this how does this how does this change uh the church? And I think that you know, you were you began this, you know, far before the beginning of the pandemic. I know, you know, many people that planted 
dinner churches or table gatherings in different communities before the pandemic. Um, and then obviously the pandemic has had an impact. You, you talk to people, you coach people all over the, the continent that are starting dinner churches or maybe have been, um, you know, practitioners of, of this uh, type of church for, for, for some time now. What are you seeing as a result of the pandemic? Um, how has that impacted these table gatherings? I know we've had to pivot and adapt a lot. That's for sure. Um, you know, I think a lot of things have been exposed. I think a mm-hmm. lot of things have been revealed. Um, one of the things that I think has really come to the surface is that people, for, for those that are responding, they are, they're done with anonymous Christianity. I mm. think that people want to be known and seen and loved. And a lot of times um, in, in maybe perhaps some larger churches, it's, all too easy to just be an anonymous attender and anonymous Christian. And um, there are times, I think there were seasons when that was maybe preferred where it's like, I just want to go and attend and listen to an awesome, you know, uh, worship service and a sermon. And then I, I want to check out. And I think loneliness has been just really yeah. exposed. And I think people just want to be known by people. And um I think that has been such a coup for the dinner church movement mm-hmm. because um, obviously the pandemic has, has changed the way we do everything. <clears throat> and yeah. so that's, that's been a, a big shift, uh, I believe. And again, not that other ways of doing church are inauthentic, but I think that right. people are just craving an authenticity um, in their worship experiences. Um, I think that even just uh, ecumenically, I think there are, there are, you know, just along the spectrum from maybe Pentecostal on one side to just high church or, you know, uh, order on the other side, people want to maybe delve a little bit more toward the middle of the spectrum and see, I I wonder how they do church, or I wonder how how they do church. And I think dinner church allows you to just blend different things according to your context Mm -hmm. and, and what you need. And so people are just open. I think that loneliness has made people open. And our context is an inner city urban context, but there are way more dinner churches happening in rural areas and in suburban areas. So it's not just tied down to one way of, of doing church. It's not just a way of doing church for the, for the homeless, like, like Mm -hmm. ours is. Um, And so it's very flexible. Um, And I think that that's something that, that uh, resonates, I think with, with people. And so authenticity, I think to boil it down would be the, the, the biggest thing. Yeah, a lot of everything was stripped away in a sense, right? All the the things that are uh that kept us busy or running from one thing to another or, you know, stole our attention or or whatever when everything was kind of stripped away, there there became a craving for that authenticity. Um right. and 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 to your point, relationship, right? Because there was so much isolation and I think that that made it even more prevalent. Um and and hungry people, right? I mean, a lot of the the um, the impacts of the pandemic, I think, um, really uh, mobilized um, churches and and um, communities to make sure that those needs were being met, and you know, potentially some things that were started as a result of the pandemic became a, a bridge or a, a foundational possibility for you know for for new uh, communities to emerge around around tables. So, right. um, yeah, I don't ever want to diminish the 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 pain and the loss and everything else that came with the pandemic, but there have been, um, as was said in another conversation, I have many silver linings as well. Right. That's correct. So I know that you, you do, um, coach other leaders, um, all over the country around, uh, dinner church or starting community dinners. Um, what are, what are three things I think that uh, I, I would be curious what you would say, what are three things that you would encourage, um, folks that are thinking about starting a a table centered gathering to do, um, what would be those three things? And then what are kind of your three no-nos that you would say, don't do that? (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, the first thing, uh, is be yourself, be you. Um, I, you know, I struggled for far too long with trying to fit into a different or a, a certain mold of leadership that, um, I just think didn't need to happen. And that might've been a personal thing for me, but I think a lot of times in a lot of 
um, pastors and um, planters that I've talked to, you, there is this certain pressure, whether it's from your sending agency, your, your denomination, or, or family and friends or supporters, whatever it may be, to, um, to deliver a product in a certain mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, be yourself. Be yourself. Lead in the confidence that God has called you. Um, certainly do things to, to be better and, and to, to learn and grow, of course, but be yourself. The second thing would be know your neighbors. Um, you know, like get to know everyone in your neighborhood, not a specific demographic within a neighborhood. Um, I have heard far too many church planting um, plans that involve a certain segment of a neighborhood or, or yeah. expanded area as if it's like a, a, like a business plan. And I think that mm. that's probably not, not the best approach when we think about planting a church or, or leading um, mm. ministries. No, get to know all of your neighbors. And then the third thing would be relax. I put relax because one thing I one thing I love about dinner church is that it provides an amazing context to be both formal at times and just casual at times. Um, I'm a very casual leader myself, and so that works very well for me. But be flexible. Mm-hmm. I think that you have to be flexible. Like there is no way we would have survived if we had insisted on doing church the way we went and initially wanted to do it. Yeah. There's no way. And you have to be flexible. And the only thing that matters is um, it's the message. It's the gospel. It's the relationship. It's not the the way in which you, you do it or, or the way that you think. I mean, it, it's acknowledging, I guess, at some level that, you know, that we're so limited. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and by God's grace, he chooses to, to use us. And so be flexible. The three things that I would warn against, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of put them this way. If you want to struggle, you can do it this way. You can pigeonhole <laughs> your ideas. Um, you can be inflexible. If you want to struggle, you will pigeonhole your ideas. <clears throat> the second thing you'll do is you will be rushed. You'll rush mm-hmm. through the process. <clears throat> uh, you won't let things happen organically. When I think of dinner church, I think of organic. I think of, mm-hmm. of things happening from the bottom up very authentically and over time. You're mm-hmm. journeying with people. And what a better way to do that it, than, than to journey with people. And then you let the circumstances of your life, of their life, of life in your city, your neighborhood, your, na- your, your, your suburb, your whatever it may be, your county, if you're in a rural area, you let those natural circumstances that that are going to arise, provide the backdrop, the context for how you're going to serve and meet needs. And you can't rush that process. Yeah. The, the third thing would be, if you want to struggle, love or be overly obsessed with metrics. Um, <laughs> uh, certainly there are things we want to do to keep track of how we're doing. Um, uh, but I think, again, that, that kind of just is, you know, dovetails from the second thing is just, you can't rush it. And if you are rushed because you want to provide a certain, you know, metric, you know, uh, cer- certain proofs uh, that, that uh, you're growing or, or that things are happening, you're going to be rushed. And then you're always going to be on an up and down scale week after week or month after month or year after year. Yeah. That's just not the way ministry should be. Right. Um, again, again, yes, we strive, we work hard. And I think that when we talk to pastors and, and leaders in general, we don't have to worry about that because we're already all geared towards mm-hmm. working too much and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, and trying too hard. <laughs> so I guess it's an invitation to just relax a bit um, and and again, like enjoying that journey um, because the hard work is going to come. You know, the unfortunately, the the hard times they're going to come, and if we are always burnt out when we really need the extra energy, we're not going to have it. Yeah. And so, um, but with the metrics to me, I, I, I just, again, th- this might be just coming from our own context, maybe specifically, mm-hmm. but I just, I feel like our people would really be, they, 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 I don't know, that, that would really turn people off. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if there's any semblance of, oh, you're using us to, you know, I mean, and, and we, and I have, I've, I've been accused by people. I mean, they may not, come often. Uh, and you know, they might be on drugs as they're telling me this, but they're saying, you know, you just want money. Or I remember you were doing a fundraiser for this <laughs> and it, it probably all went to your pocket and you know, but 
we just want to make sure that the way that we're doing ministry is not giving anyone the the feeling that they're a means to an end. Um, oh, that's so good. Like they're people, they're not projects, right? Absolutely. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. So that's good. No, I mean, I think all of the things that you just listed, your your three words of encouragement and your your three no-nos, I think they're they're translatable, they're transferable to uh, any any pastor in any form of ministry uh, as far as 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 what you've shared. I think they're really really significant and I thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um what where are you where are you finding hope right now? What is what does hope look like uh, where you're where you're sitting in your context? I always find hope in in people's stories. Um, I think uh, just going back to with everything that's happened in the pandemic, the uncertainty of the world, I find hope in the the smallest things. I just think that when we look at the fabric of life and ministry, mm-hmm. we tend to look at the big things. And I think that um, Jesus, I just, again, his example is what, what encourages me. We look back to the very small, short, conversations he would have with people and he gave them hope even if it was a word or two i mean that to me has to be the basis for what gives us hope in these uncertain times um is the it's just the little things um and again i i think that those are sometimes they they can you know maybe in my own personality that's that's what jesus knows i need but you know, we, we just tend to look at what can I do that's great for God when, yeah. and, and it's, it's, I think it's deeper than that. I think yeah. that we need to find hope in, in, um, seeing people's journeys, you know, growing, um, and, and seeing them respond to Jesus. And, mm-hmm. um, so I'm finding hope in, in, you know, like on that side, people responding to authentic ways of doing church. And then on leaders, you know, with, with leaders, I'm responding I'm excited to to see people responding to uh, or being open to adding dinner churches to their menus. Um, yeah, good. <laughs> pun intended, but like just <laughs> to, 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 to the things that they're offering to their community, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm getting, requ- I'm getting emails and calls and people are just saying, Hey, like we're, you know, we've been doing a food bank. How can we turn this into a dinner church? I'm like, so good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I get yeah. excited and- that people are open now, whereas before maybe not so much. Right, right. That's so good. I think one thing that I've I've heard kind of you say and refrain throughout our conversation is is really two things. Um, you know, the the whole idea of metrics or what things look like maybe on the outside or or, or traditional method me- metrics does not tell the story, and that there is so much more to the significance of the depth that's happening in the the relationships and the life change and the transformation, not only in um, the people that we're seeking to build relationships with, but in ourselves um, as well. Right. Uh, And that's just God's economy. You know, it's, it doesn't make sense, but it's, it's a beautiful thing. And that, you know, I'm reminded that, that Paul, you know, the apostle Paul did not plant churches, he planted the gospel wherever right. he was and that the church just kind of grew, the community of faith kind of grew up around it. And really that, I think that's, that's really indicative of what this whole movement is about in regards to uh, uh, dinner churches and, and table gatherings and community dinners. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm just excited about, about what the future looks like with um with the church and how this is going to continue to impact our churches as people lean in, as people see the opportunities that maybe came to light over these last two years in ways that they had never come to light before. And in so many ways, you could say everything old is new again, right? This is, we're not, we're not doing anything like new, anything new and shiny. This is, this is how the church uh, was birthed in, uh, in the first century and um, grew exponentially. And and there's an invitation for us, uh, for us there in this uh, new era that we're all uh, getting to be a part of. That's right. That's absolutely right. <laughs> well, is there any, I guess, any word of encouragement that you would leave folks with as uh, as we close out our conversation, Isaac? You know, I, I would just quickly say that, that you know, we talked about the significance that we find in the, the depth of relationships and yeah. um, not to overlook the significance of, of the meal itself. It's not the meal in and of itself is not a means to a relationship or a means to the gospel. It's foundational, um, mm. the gospel. and 
you know, take pride, um, in the meals that you serve, um, and, and, you know, make, make some good food. And, um, I, I think of Jesus, uh, you know, walking on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples after his (laughs) resurrection and he's talking like he doesn't know what, what's been going on. They're like, are you crazy? Have you, where have you been? And, and then, and they don't seem to know the scriptures as he's, as he's sharing. And Luke makes it very clear that um, it wasn't until they shared a meal together that their That's eyes right. were opened. Um, there's yeah. significance in the meal in and of itself. And mm-hmm. I'm not talking wacko, you know, transubstantiation or anything that happens crazily with the meal mm-hmm. in and of itself. But I, I think that, again, it helps us when we enjoy a meal together, it helps us slow down. It helps us see things that Jesus wants us to see. And I think that's what's very special about Dinner Church. Yeah, amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Isaac. Well, everybody have a great, great day. And we look forward to meeting you um, in person or online sometime real soon. So we're live and back uh, with the Fresh Expressions podcast, and I'm joined by Verlin Fosner. Verlin is on our team and uh, leads the Dinner Church Collective, and one of the uh, fastest growing sort of ways of inhabiting uh, church is church that meets around the table, and a lot of those forms of church are thriving, and and it's a uh, a really ancient future way of being church. And so we want to spend a few minutes with Verlin um, uh, talking about the, the dinner church movement, thinking about the encounter around the table with the person of Jesus. And Verlin, thanks for being here. You bet. Great to be here, Gannon. Good to see you. Yeah, Verlin, just for, you know, a quick, quick snapshot. I mean, we, we're familiar with your story, but, you know, some of those listening might not be uh, completely familiar with your story. So can you just share a little bit about what gets you up in the morning and, and why this has been a call uh, on your life? Well, the thing that drove us onto this path was the profound failure of our established church that was happening in Seattle and uh, right near 100 years old. uh, But it was doing really well for the first five or six years we were here. We came in 99. And uh, and then all of a sudden, someone unplugged the extension cord, found it and unplugged it. And we just started to go into free fall, tripping over ourselves and all. And uh, so uh, after a lot of prayer, pulling leaders together, we just found ourselves being directed by the spirit again and again and again back to that historic sociology of church. And quite frankly, we resisted it for quite a while until pretty soon it just didn't make sense to resist any longer. And um, so as soon as we, uh, we spent quite a, I mean, the dinner church, it, it is, it's not an innovation. It is a, uh, it is a recovery project. And so we really committed ourselves to dive into the recovery nature of it without trying to invent our own add-ons and subtracts. And so, um, but as soon as we started at least our best crack at the historic dinner church, the sociology of church that was used most for those first 300 years, um, we it just started to just balloon. And before long, we were in another neighborhood and doing the same thing, same thing. And then the neighborhood, same thing. These agape feast, new Passover, Jesus tables, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. And they're called all of that equally yep. and interchangeably. Um, they just flourished. And so we're now up to 17. It actually kind of rewrote our entire church's way of functioning because our traditional Sunday morning gatherings continued to decline while all of our dinner church sites were just booming and rising and and among people that didn't do church and people that wouldn't you wouldn't naturally assume they would ever want to do church you know and so um, so that uh, really began to rewrite our story and before long we said wow the Lord is really calling us to that 
Acts 5, 8, you've spread this gospel through the whole city. And we said, how do we, how do we pivot from being a church on a corner to a church through a city? Um, yeah. And that was an interesting, you know, uh, uh, conversation, if you will, to move to that level of, of sentness, that level of thoroughgoingness, rather than assuming that everyone's going to figure out how to come and go to heaven with us the way we like it on our one mm-hmm. campus. So, so that, uh, that was of course, 13, 14 years ago now, but, uh, we've, uh, we're at the point we have 17, uh, dinner churches in 17 different neighborhoods throughout the city and expanding a new one about through every three or four or five months, we're opening up another one right now. So that's, that's turned into our story. Obviously that's redefined us. Well, obviously, and but you know, but you know, so many people. I mean, we we reflect upon the fact the church the church um, met in homes. It says in Acts two, right? You know, they mm-hmm. gathered, they they met in the temple, but then they broke bread and prayed in their homes, and they they shared, have things in common, and and church really. Yeah. I mean, when people talk to me about you know, say something like multiculturalism or something in in our current day and age, I, I always kind of think about the fact that the early church was multicultural. <laughs> Before it was in vogue, I mean, right. it was a it was a total breakdown of all of the sociological uh, barriers oh, completely. in society. People yeah. gathering in homes around table, um, expected to to have a word to share when they gathered, and you know, it, it, but so so walk us through a little bit of 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 history and how how do we get from table fellowship as a primary means of gathering to um, person up front with golden throated oratory. <laughs> yeah, well, that was an interesting degeneration there. Uh, some of it had to do with, you know, when Rome decided to make Christianity the state church uh, and um, these humble dinner churches in these agape settings were a little bit too uh, elemental for the Roman elites. And so there's where you see uh, Constantine build the big basilicas and try to to say, hey, this is, this is actually what Christianity is going to be going forward, which was actually a wide-scale uh, elitism thing that, that occurred. Um, but they started to work hard at actually stamping out the dinner churches. And it took them 360 years, 350 years to actually do it. They're still frustrated about it clear up in the 670s, the council at Trulia, and they're still committed to stamping out all of these dinner churches that are ran by the non-ordained people and all of that stuff. So, um, uh, so it really took that period of time. And then, of course, there's been a series of other sellouts um, that have occurred. I, I don't mean to use the sellouts too bluntly because I think Jesus works with whatever we'll give him. And so there's been a lot of wonderful things that have happened in all different levels of church, but they definitely reached different uh, different social forms of people. And we just need to acknowledge that. And uh, so the the dinner church was reaching certain kinds of people for those first years. And then, of course, that sacred space church started to reach a different sector of people. And then the reformers come along, and most of them were theological professors. So setting up church in classroom, everybody facing forward, listen to me talk for an hour, all that kind of thing, which we've normalized, didn't come out of scripture anywhere, but we know exactly who invented it, where they tried it. And so that has been our norm for the last 500 years. And we just really haven't stopped to question it, except it uh, it was a church designed by Judeos for Judeos and reaches Judeos. <laughs> it's not what's that mean when you say Judeos? Holding I'm to a familiar. strong, yeah, holding to a strong uh, Judeo worldview. Hey, there is a God. This God has allowed wisdom to come upon the earth. We can adhere to it, and when we align our life to it, but things work better than not. And yeah, as opposed to a secular worldview that that none of that other stuff may or may not be true. It may or may not be important. Yeah, got it. And so, you know, as we, okay, so we're, we have, you know, the, the gathered community meeting in kind of temple spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, a, that's just the, the way of, of, of gathering. But, but we're, we're seeing a kind of resurgence, you say, a recovery project of this thing. So how, how do both of those things work together uh, in your view? Well, actually, I believe they work together in this time frame in a very beautiful uh, uh, way. Uh, quite frankly, our favorite way of opening up dinner church congregations is to have an established church open it up as a second congregation of theirs. 
because something really wonderful happens. First of all, the the stability of the established church in terms of people and maybe even some resources, even though dinner churches don't cost much. But um, uh, all of that uh, creating a, a, an electrified pool of people that are directed to go to a different neighborhood and open up a different kind of church for a different kind of people, you've got an established church capable of, of arising to that, of mustering to that. But then when the dinner church gets open, because it is actually out on the front lines of the gospel, something that the traditional church hasn't been on for like maybe ever, but certainly a long time, uh, when they realize, wow, a part of us is actually bringing a lot of people to the Lord. There, there's a population of heaven happening, and we are doing it. It's out there, and and somehow there is a reverse remissioning of the traditional church. There is a, um, there is a, a missiological inspiration that fires into their soul, and they are most wired to go back and get the prodigals, and they, they kind of forgotten how to do that well, and now suddenly they want to go do that well. And so it allows a chance for a mission revival, if you will, with the established group. The dinner church will do that for the established group and the established group provides um, first steps, uh, people and uh, stability for the newly birthing dinner church congregation. So talk to us about the implications, um, you know, for for people who've been following Jesus a, a long time uh, in, in this view, what's, what's the invitation for them? People say, well, no, I like, I like doing church the way I'm used right. to doing it. Right. Um, what What are the implications here for them? Well, we do have um, a particular written product called Welcome to Dinner Church that focuses specifically on that person that you've explained. They are someone that is in a traditional church. They've loved that entire uh, exposure to Christ and tracking with others in community in growing with Christ and them toward uh, the Lord's ideal for their Christian experience and outcomes. But uh, but they still recognize that their church is either in decline or it's it's not really effective with the not yets, effective with the already's, but not effective with the not yets. And uh, so they feel a certain angst about that. And so how, do, how can they come over and begin? How can a traditional Christian come over and become highly effective at a Jesus table uh, sociolo sociology of church? And that's what the Welcome to Dinner Church is all about. But part of the implications are, I mean, from a, uh, from a, a spiritual sense, there is a there is a, a tremendous need for the body of Christ in the West and particularly in America uh, to to get reengaged with the theology of sentness. Mm -hmm. I mean, we we come we, we come into the Savior, we know Him as the Savior, but do we know Him as the sender? Do we expect a lot of our prayer conversation to be about who He is sending us to next and who else is supposed to go with us in that sentness? And yet there aren't practical praxis-oriented expressions to exercise that calling well. So it kind of hangs around in the theory if it's hanging around at all in most churches. And usually it's not hanging around at all, quite frankly. It cuts in on the comfort-based need of the church growth metric. Um, and um, But if a, if a pastor, and they're, they're trying to regain mission, they're trying to get everyone involved in mission again, they're talking about it in theoretical terms, but it's hard to have a place and space to take it from the theoretical into the real. And that's where the dinner church congregation suddenly really explodes because they have an opportunity to every week begin to go and practice their sentness because we as a church are feeling sent by the spirit to that neighborhood right over there. And we're yeah. opening up a dinner church for them. And suddenly everyone begins to feel the, the, the pulses of the theology of sentness in their own spirituality. So it creates an opportunity for great spiritual growth for people. Stagnation gives way to mission. And it's a very beautiful thing for that to happen. In terms of practice, um, mm -hmm. most people, um, they've, they've got the ability to recognize, hey, you know, what's good for the goose isn't always good for the gander here. And the <laughs> way that I need to experience Jesus, uh, which I am already getting to do in my local church, is not the same sociology that uh, a majority of my town needs to experience Jesus. I get that. And we can provide 
a different uh, socio form of church, a very deep, deep rooted historic one for them. So they, because we believe everyone ought to get a chance to be with Jesus too, not just us that have figured out, you know, uh, how to how to lay out a form of church, a sociology of church that matches the way I was raised and the the deep roots and the the scriptural impacts on my family and family generation for generations deep and the praying grandma and all that kind of thing. All of us that have lived in that world, then going to a traditional church completely works for us. Mm-hmm. But there's less than a third of the average town that that is true. They, they have not had the praying grandma. They haven't had Christian expression or Christian conversation in their families for two and three generations in their family lines. And that's now the, that's now the norm. And so that's why we statistically now live in what is called post-Christian America, mm-hmm. because there are more people that are, that are far enough removed from that, um, you know, uh, uh, scriptural or Christian home family table or family life that then, then, uh, then not. And so, uh, so we, that's, that's exactly the spot that the majority of our towns are in. And that's what has shifted by the way. That's why our churches are all of a sudden going into decline. It's not because we're getting worse at it. <laughs> we're actually getting better at it, but, uh, it's that the population of our country is now two thirds plus leaning into a secular worldview, and our worldview to them looks like a museum. It doesn't look valid to a, an expenditure of their time uh, any longer because of their their sociological uh, alignment perspectives. So once we get that in our heads, well, can we do church for them? We can do church for us, and you know, um, uh, but but can can we pick up an old form of church? and begin to do church for them in a way that they experience Jesus. Uh, we experience it our way. We're fine to let them experience it. In fact, we'll provide the opportunity for them to experience Jesus in a way that matches their sociology. And that's what the dinner church, that, that's how the dinner church lives and how it coexists. And we don't need to cancel the enjoyment of our worship and our pre- preaching and the way that we wipe the tears and feel the presence of the Lord when we're together on Sundays uh, to provide a different experience for uh, a different a different portion of the population of our town. Um, so, so talk me through a little bit about that. I mean, you you in in your books and it, it kind of follows closely. I'm 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 uh, reading through this. There's this five thresholds sort of evangelism that Doug gets Don Everts as, as an author, and he you know, talks about, you know, the, the, the first threshold for most, most people these days is just trusting a Christian. You know? mm, <laughs> like, that's you know, true. They don't want to hear our story. They don't even, <laughs> they don't know what our story is. They've got, as you say, the secular kind of worldview, but you know, if they can kind of like trust a Christian and become kind of curious about the, the way of life of a, of a Christian, then, you know, they might be uh, sort of, drawn in by a, a new way of belonging, uh, which, mm-hmm. which one might experience, say, around the table. And I think in some of your um, writing, you, you talk about gathering around the table and just being able to talk about life with people. Mm-hmm. And in talking about life, you get to limits, and then, mm-hmm. you, then you get to spiritual conversation. Right, right. And so I'm just wondering right. if you can share maybe a little story snapshot of, of somebody that you would have deemed as a a quote, uh, you know, someone coming out of a, a totally different background worldview that that sort of was given space at a table to to talk about their life and their limits, and then that led to spiritual conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, it's certainly a very uh, particular thing. It's not universal, and certainly not one size fits all. Uh, there was a guy uh, by the name of Bruce. Um, and he, uh, for literally for, uh, I would say pretty close to four or five years, our relationship was really held at that first layer of the onion at just talking about life. What are you going to do tonight, Bruce? You know, well, he, he loved to drink. He was a, he was a drinker. And so he literally every, every, all the money that he made totally existed into after he was done being with us, he was going to go drinking. And how you doing tonight, Bruce? Oh, I'm not doing very good. Why not? I don't have any money for drinking. I mean, literally everything wrapped around whether or not he was going to get to go drinking that night before the next morning, we guys get up and go do his stuff, you know? So uh, it was just his life. And this went on for so long, even though he was sitting there while 
the Jesus stories were being preached and we're talking, we're praying, we're serving all the normal things that would create a wonderful Jesus environment. He just, that, that was where his conversations were. And one of the things that we really talk about is don't force, don't force the conversation. It's their heart. They need to invite you into the deeper layer when they're ready. So just wait for that. So I always waited for it. I never pushed it beyond, even though the environment, there were things happening in the room. And he would always listen and always, you know, it seemed very thankful to be there for the night. But still, interpersonally, it was very, um, very, uh, he held it at that surface level. And I remember this one night when he walked in and he made a beeline to me, which kind of wasn't his way. He was a little bit more like the Andy Cap, shuffling along, passive, laid back, you know. But this time he came in on a mission and he looked around the room, spotted me. I was in line uh, with other um, other people that were there that night, but uh, the buffet line. And he came, watched right over to me, and he just kind of like thumped me in the chest, which I didn't know we had that level of relationship even. That was new <laughs> to me. And uh, thumped me in the chest and said, hey. I've got some questions about Christianity and I want you to sit by me tonight when we eat. And I said, yeah, sure. We'll do. And uh, so I got my food and he got his and I sat down beside him and how you doing? What's up? And he just, I mean, he absolutely pivoted the conversation from, uh, from the, uh, from the uh, uh, all about life right through the, what about life limitations right down to all this spiritual stuff. And he just started rapid firing questions to me about Christianity and what are the crusades and how come people don't like the Catholics and what's up with this and what's the whole, why is everyone all against this and that and the other? And I mean, it was very interesting how he just, it's like everything he'd ever heard that anybody had a negative against Christianity. He'd saved them all up for years. And now he's like pulling them out, pulling that mental file out, boom, 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 boom. So probably for uh, a half hour, I just rapid fired, answered back and forth to him. And when we got all done, I just felt the stirring in my heart to ask him this question. Uh, And so I just went with it. I said, hey, Bruce, uh, do you feel if you were to actually talk to Jesus right now that he would hear you? And he said, well, yeah, I think he would. And I said, what do you think he would say? And he just kind of sat back in his chair and got a, a little bit of a wryly look on his face. And he said, I think he would tell me, Bruce, you exhaust me. (laughs) You exhaust me. And I started laughing and he was laughing. And it was just this very interesting exchange. And I realized that as we were talking about talking to Jesus, he was right. I mean, I, I didn't, there was certainly nothing more for me to do other than just to back out of the conversation and let him and the Lord pick it up from there. And it was such an interesting breakthrough after such a long period of of of, uh, uh, of waiting for him to invite me into a lower level of his heart. Uh, but that's just an, that's that's an example of like how long it takes. Sometimes, lots of times, it happens in the first night with someone. Sometimes it's months, but in certain cases, it's years. But we just wait for for their heart to be made available. A little bit like what Jesus did with Zacchaeus. He yep. just waited till Zacchaeus says, okay, okay, I'm a thief. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a liar, you know, and, and uh, Jesus, oh, wow, salvation is coming into this house today, you know? Interesting stuff, how we watched Jesus just wait for Zacchaeus to take the lead on that. Yes, and that's a good, a good place to end. Just the, the reminder of how patient we must be um, in, in yeah. this process. Yep. Um, yep. It, it, we're, we're following after Jesus. Uh, we, we are giving all of our our strategies, our need for approval, whatever it is, to, to him, trusting. Um, and and there's there's a lot of joy, and there's a great deal of I find relief in the waiting, um, mm-hmm. because we're reminded um, that ultimately it's it's not to us. It's so, not our doing. And the Savior's yeah. good at his job. He just needs yeah. us to do a little. He'll handle it from there. That's it. Well, Verlin, it's been a joy to be with you. Uh, Thanks for your wise words, and uh, we look forward to continuing conversations. Well, you bet. Cool talking to you again, and thank you. This is the Fresh Expressions Podcast. 
Fresh Expressions is a worldwide movement of everyday missionaries who want to see churches thrive in the places we eat, play, work, and yes, even in our traditional churches. To learn a simple five-phase process for starting a new expression of church, go to freshexpressionsus.org backslash how to start. The Fresh Expressions podcast is hosted by Gannon Sims and me, Heather Jalad. It's edited by Joel Limbaum and produced by Kathleen Blackie and Chris Morton. Our national director is Dr. Christopher Backert. If you've learned something or been encouraged by this podcast, please help us spread the word. You can give us a review on Apple Music or Spotify and share this episode on social media. Now, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that God's ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations.